Thanks for joining us on this special episode of the Methodist Voice Podcast. We're taking a brief break from the Primeval series. We'll pick that back up shortly enough. But today I wanted to record the first installment of a series of messages I've been preaching on Sunday mornings at the church I pastor in La Mesa, Texas called Perusia. That's just the Greek word uh, for the Latin word Advent. We're in the Advent season. It just means coming. This series has been mind-blowing for me, and we had a technical error which prevented us from getting a recording of it on Sunday morning. So here's a recording of that first installment of this series called, the title of the series, Perusia Part 1, The Christmas Story You've Never Heard. Now technically, the first installment of this series really began Uh, In the last installment of the Ezekiel series, I just finished in November, so you might want to start there. But the rest of this particular series of messages can be found in an article form at my Substack site, thefoundrypress.org. I'll link to that in the description, or you can watch the message delivered at our church, the the, the rest of the messages that got recorded, delivered at our church uh, at the Methodist Voice YouTube channel. I'll also link to that in the, in the description. So that being said, let's get into the message. Perusia Part 1, The Christmas Story You've Never Heard. So roughly a hundred years before the first coming of Christ, there was all-out war between the Sadducees and Pharisees that lasted over eight years. Even after the war, there were flare-ups and sub-factions that developed. Everyone claimed to be the rightful rulers of Israel and kept trying to assassinate the leaders of the other parties. The Dead Sea Scrolls say at this time, all of Israel was walking in madness. Now that's a quote, that's an excerpt from a book called Ancient Mysteries of the Essenes by a a guy named Ken Johnson. But think about it. There's a similar madness sweeping over the entire world right now. So go back, starting in 2020, from COVID-19 to race riots to political drama to now the insanity over Israel and Palestine and the conflicts they're having there. All of a sudden, we're having all of these conflicts that are crazy And everybody's experiencing it globally all at once. Riots have now broken out in Ireland over the stabbing of a mom and three kids by an Algerian immigrant. And I'll give you two guesses as to the official state religion of Algeria. Famous UFC fighter and former 2-8 division champion Conor McGregor, a native and resident of Ireland, tweeted about the riots and stabbing, Ireland, we are at war. He was only stating the obvious, but now he's under criminal investigation for a tweet. Anti-illegal immigration? Are you a racist Islamophobe? Well, the legal systems are being used to wage war against political dissidents. The message to everyone is clear. You'd better fall in line and watch closely what you say. Big Brother is watching and he carries a big stick. You see the same thing here in the United States. A reporter at the January 6th protest, 
who was actively trying to convince people not to enter the Capitol building and never stepped foot inside the Capitol building himself, is now in federal prison under solitary confinement. Madness and chaos. Now, that particular reporter has just been released, and he was interviewed on Tim Pool's podcast. And he says, he says the effect of that experience was now everything that he says is going through the filter of, will this get me in trouble? It is, it's functioned to put a clamp on his speech. Former President Donald Trump is facing 91 felony counts in four criminal cases. But there's nothing political about this. It's just about justice. And yes, there was fraud found in the 2020 election, but it was deemed not enough to change the outcome of the election. How can we be sure of this? Well, they told us so. The United States political and legal systems have devolved into a banana republic indeed. The largest defamation case in U.S. history was recently prosecuted against an alternative news outlet for questioning the government narrative about a mass shooting. And I'll link to the article in the, uh, the Substack article. Never mind the fact that the government, along with our news media, if they didn't lie and cover up real crimes by its own so consistently, there would be no need for alternative news. But this defamation case had a $1.5 billion judgment against an individual. And that is not about justice. It's about political assassination. Elon Musk was recently interviewed on the Joe Rogan podcast about political corruption in America. He informed us about the wealthy financiers of both our federal and local elected offices. He said, and this is a quote from the article, in the New York Post, he, George Soros, is doing things that erode the fabric of civilization, giving district attorneys elected who refuse to prosecute crime. That's part of the problem in San Francisco and L.A. and other cities. Once you get to, to a city and state district attorneys, the value for the money is extremely good, Musk said. Soros realized you don't actually need to change the laws. You just need to change how they're enforced. We are at war indeed. Once again, something is stirring in the spiritual realm, probably because those beings know something we don't, but we should. And there are no laws in war, only victors. The victors get to decide who will be held accountable and which laws, those that benefit them, of course, are enforced. It was a similar atmosphere in the nation of Israel before the first coming of the Messiah. Some 200 years before Jesus was to be born, the prophecies of Daniel were playing out in real time. There were evil things in the spirit that knew that God was making preparations to bring forth his plans and purposes, and those demonic powers were stirring men to do their bidding. An antichrist that Daniel warned about in Daniel chapters 8 through 11 was now on the scene. It was one of the bloodiest times in Israel's history. Ken Johnson, again, writes in his book, Ancient Mysteries of the Essenes, 
Most of us remember Antiochus Epiphanes, who persecuted the Jews. He killed all those who refused to live a Grecian lifestyle, a Greek lifestyle. They could not study the Bible, practice circumcision, or do Jewish sacrifices. The Jerusalem temple was desolated with idols, and Jews were forced to sacrifice to pagan gods or be put to death. The Zadok priests refused to obey, and the assassination of Zadok priests began. The Zadok priests knew of the apostasy that was to come, and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took the temple library to Qumran. There the Lord protected them, and they prepared the hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. They did this as best they could in the midst of a growing apostasy in the Sanhedrin and in the Pharisee and Sadducees parties. The Dead Sea Scrolls found in Qumran and its surrounding caves are the legacy of the Zadok priests with a complete history from their point of view. Now, if the the Zadok priesthood is new to you, they were introduced to us in the book of Ezekiel. And so the last episode in the Ezekiel series that you can find on the foundrypress.org or on the Methodist Voice, it's Ezekiel part four. That is where we are introduced to the Zadok priesthood. The Zadok priests were informed by the Holy Spirit to flee from Jerusalem three years before Antiochus took the throne and began his bloody reign over the Jewish people. So they knew what was coming. Those who believed the message and followed the priests were spared the time of trouble. During this time of chaos, a priest from the line of Zadok, Onias IV, read this prophecy from the book of Isaiah, chapter 19, verse 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord at its border. Based upon that prophecy and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, Onias and the other Zadok priests gathered the collection of writings from the library of the Jerusalem temple and fled to Egypt to build an alternative Jewish temple complete with a functioning sacrificial system. It was from there they were directed by their knowledge of scriptures and the leading of the Holy Spirit that their assignment was to wait on and prepare for God's coming Messiah. They rejected the apostate teachings of the other Jewish schools of thought, the equivalent of modern Christian denominations, lots of different groups and factions within Judaism, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Zealots, among others, there were scribes. The Zadok priests separated themselves in remote areas to go into strict training in godliness. They studied the scripture daily, focusing largely on the study of prophecy to discern what God was doing in their day and what he was going to do, for that matter. A significant population of Jews gathered to them in Egypt to spiritually prepare for God to deliver on his soon coming promise of salvation. The Zadok priests shepherded these communities of faithful Jews who were called the Essenes, which means healer. They instructed them in the scriptures and other writings they had preserved from the Jewish antiquity in the Jewish temple library. 
after the threat of Antichrist was removed as a consequence of Rome having taken over and restored order in Israel, the Jewish leadership actually asked Rome to come and do that, many of these people were instructed to return and resettle the area known as Qumran, situated just northwest of the Dead Sea. Before Jesus Christ was revealed, before any book of the New Testament was ever written, based upon their studies of both the Old Testament and other writings, here is the knowledge that the Zadok priests were instructing to the Jewish people under their care. Now really listen to this. I'm going to give you the bullet points of the things the Zadok priests were preaching and teaching to Jewish people, the communities that they stewarded, hundreds of years before the events happened. Okay? So the Zadok priests interpreted the Old Testament by the writings of the patriarchs, the lineage from Adam through Aaron, Moses' brother. There was a collection of some 40 testaments from these people. Currently, less than half of these still exist, and most are fragmented. They were found along with the other Dead Sea Scroll documents. But if we couple these together with the commentaries from the Dead Sea Scrolls, they give us a good picture of what the Essenes believed, and here are a few of their teachings. One God exists as God the Father, the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit communicates with the Zadok prophets, not with the Jewish Sanhedrin. The Jewish government is to be judged by the prophets, not the other way around. The Messiah would be born of a virgin. The Messiah would come and die to reconcile us to God the Father. The Messiah's death creates a group of people called the redeemed. The Messiah's death would occur on Passover of AD 32. Now remember, they predicted that hundreds of years before it happened, and that's exactly when it happened. The destruction of the of Jerusalem would occur 40 years after that. That also was correct. Jerusalem was invaded and destroyed somewhere around AD 72. The Messiah would likely be killed by the Levitical priests, and because of this, the Levitical priesthood would be replaced by a Gentile priesthood. That's why the New Testament church is referred to as a kingdom of priests. The sign of God's rejection of the Levitical priesthood would be when the veil in the Jerusalem temple would be ripped in half. The Pentecost after the Messiah's death would start the Age of Grace. The Age of Grace has a new covenant with a new set of holy books. The New Testament would contain teachings from the Messiah, a history about the birth of the synagogue of the Gentiles, and a series of epistles from a Benjamite and other books. By the way, the Apostle Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. The Messiah would resurrect and ascend. The Messiah would return at the end of the Age of Grace and begin the Age of the Kingdom. The Kingdom Age, or the Millennium, would last for 1,000 years. That's all from Ken Johnson's book. Now listen, (laughs) that list is shocking. Let that sink in for just a second. 
And that's not even the biggest of the bombs that we have to drop. The biggest one is going to be dropped possibly in episode three of this series. While all of these prophecies eventually came true, what is most remarkable is they got the actual dates correct. These teachings have been preserved and documented in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls were initially discovered in 1948. The same time frame when the nation of Israel was formed, was reformed as a nation. But they have continued to be discovered uh, as recently as 2017. They found some more of these. So we're continuing to get new information unlocked for us that we didn't have before. That represents new understanding about the Bible that we haven't had before. So it's, it's fascinating. And again, think about this. The discovery of these scrolls happened the exact same time that the nation of Israel was being regathered to their own land after 2,000 years of exile. That cannot be a coincidence. God is up to something very clearly, and we're living through it and witnessing it and even participating in it right now. Here's what it says in Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Now let's see if we can connect the dots here. When Antichrist arose to persecute the Zadok priests, where did God send them? Do you remember? We just covered it. To Egypt, right? Many Jews followed them and they formed and cultivated communities of learning and understanding. And when the Antichrist arose during the birth, the first coming of Jesus, the person of Herod was the Antichrist figure. Remember what he did? He wanted to kill all of the firstborn males under two years of age. And then, where did God send Mary and Joseph? Let's read from it in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, Joseph and Mary, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. At the end of the day, there were three fulfillments of that prophecy. Out of Egypt I have called my son two of which have already transpired. The original historic meaning, which was the exodus of the Jewish people from Egypt, that's what that verse originally referred to. There's the first prophetic meaning, which refers to the first coming of the Messiah as a refugee from Egypt. And then there's the last prophetic meaning, meaning the second coming of Messiah, which recapitulates the exodus from Egypt, the return of Jesus. Joel Richardson writes a very good book about this from Sinai to Zion, where, how the return of Jesus will recapitulate 
the exodus from Egypt. And so we'll get into that later on in the series, but let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Now think about this. So God sent Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Egypt. That is no coincidence. That's no accident. He knew there were communities prepared for them when they got there where they could be nourished by these uh, Zadok priests and the Essene communities that they had shepherded. There were Jewish people there who knew all of this information, and they could instruct Joseph and Mary in what was going on. And then look at what it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. After they had returned to, back to Jerusalem, after three days they found him in the temple courts, Jesus, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And it says in verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now listen, Jesus wasn't just born wise. He had to grow and learn just like any other person. He was given a normal human brain. So in order for him to learn, he had to have teachers who could provide him with good information. He wouldn't just sat and taught by, by an angel like the prophet Muhammad. He had to learn. Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He had to grow and learn just like any other person. And he put on display this amazing understanding before the religious leaders. Well, where did he get it from? Probably from the Zadok priesthood and the Essene communities. God had sovereignly prepared a safe place for his newborn son by planting and cultivating faithful people in Egypt who studied the scripture diligently and followed the Holy Spirit faithfully. People played a vital role in the plans and purposes of God coming to fruition. God has never worked alone. God was even preparing Mary for the things that she would witness and suffer. Luke 2.34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There were even faithful people preaching the message to anyone who would listen. Luke 2.36, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, both of these people, Simeon and Anna, are putting on or demonstrating behavior and understanding that would have been represented by the teaching of the Zadok priests. Both Simeon and Anna use phrases and ideas that are consistent with what the Essene communities documented in their writings. The Essenes were known to be 100% accurate in the prophecies they recorded. And as it pertains to us, 
this next prediction might be the most sobering of all. So this is bomb number two. It's from one of the scrolls called the Damascus Document. And here it is. The priests and Levites, the sons of Zadok, who keep the courses of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me. They became apostate. They shall offer to me the fat and the blood. The priests are the remnant of Israel who went forth out of the land of Judah, and the Levites are those who joined them. The sons of Zadok are the chosen of Israel, called Hashem. And here it is. Whose priesthood reappears in the last days. We have thought it proper to relate these facts to our readers. This is a quote from Josephus, the famous Jewish historian. We have thought it proper to relate these facts to our readers, how strange soever they be, and to declare what hath happened among us, because many of these Essenes have by their excellent virtue been thought worthy of this knowledge of divine revelations. This all leads to another story, another Christmas story. It's the tale of two babies. Christmas is not the tale of one baby, it's the tale of two babies. And we will unravel that story in part two of this series. So with that, thanks for joining us. Uh, I hope you dive into the rest of the series because this story of the Zadok priesthood has many fascinating revelations for us about the Christmas stories. And there's one bomb yet to be dropped you're not going to want to miss. Thanks for joining us again. Have a great week and a Merry Christmas. And we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye.